February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, unhealthy, abusive, or violent relationships can have short and long-term negative effects, including severe consequences on a developing teen. Youths who are victim of teen dating violence are more likely to experience depression and anxiety, engage in unhealthy behaviors, and exhibit antisocial behaviors, and also think about suicide. Violence in an adolescent relationship sets the stage for future relationship problems, including intimate partner violence. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, Community Partnership Manager of Hope House, and I am joined today by my guest co-host of Hope House Board of Directors, Jamie Simpson. We are joined by a special guest as well that will keep anonymous. Welcome to the Illuminating Hope Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Share with our listeners today some of the stories that have affected you indirectly or directly when it comes to teen dating violence. Yeah, so the first one isn't my turn personally. It's my brother's, one of his best friends in high school. So she was dating a guy who was a couple of years older than her. I think one year older than her, maybe two. And slowly he started to like become a little more like possessive and violent. And when they broke up, he ended up stalking her to the point where she had file a restraining order against him. And I vividly remember my brother had to stay with her for a couple nights because she was just so terrible while the restraining order was going through. So that's that one, which is pretty crazy to think about. What was the relationship like when she was in the relationship or did the stalking and the violence start post-separation? From what I've heard based on my brother, it was always sort of like a controlling relationship, but I don't think it ever got to the point of docking until after they broke up. I'm pretty sure he made her like this whole buffing that had like a bunch of pictures of them and there were some pictures of them like naked together that he like delivered to her after they broke up and now she started to like get afraid because he was just going a little crazy post breakup as a means of control I'm yeah sure is for why sure it was definitely a way of like trying to get her back based on what I saw or do you have any personal stories that you feel comfortable sharing about a domestic violent relationship yeah my last boyfriend was two years older than me first of all and while we were together it never really was that bad until it got deeper into the relationship I knew it went into the relationship knowing he had anger issues but then whenever I was around him and that sort of started to like get into effect he would sometimes grab me or like there was one time where I was like standing against a wall and he like punched the wall by my head or like he threw a plate at me once but it wasn't ever anything that I thought was like insane until like I was out of the relationship I didn't break up with him because of it which is sort of crazy to think about and I didn't really acknowledge it until I looked back on it and then I was like oh maybe that wasn't normal because I think we're just sort of taught that it's normal or like that it's not that big of a deal especially at our age and you really don't know what is or isn't a big mm-hmm. deal because a lot of people think that domestic violence is punching heading slapping when really grabbing is a form of physical abuse that happened in my case I'm a domestic violence survivor and he would throw me on the bed and throw punches around me mm-hmm. I could not call that abuse I didn't realize that that was in fact domestic violence that was physical violence whether they touch you or 
not. Are you taught anything in schools about domestic violence, dating relationship violence, or healthy relationships? Any of those dynamics? Really nothing. Like, I really cannot recall a time where I remember learning specifically about what was and was not okay. Like, obviously, when you're kids, you have the whole, like, no-no square talk. and But, like, you're always... It's like when you're in elementary school, and we have these counselors who teach us specifically about, like, adult-oriented abuse. So, like, adults abusing children. They bring out these little Cabbage Patch dolls, and they have a boy Cabbage Patch doll, and they have a girl Cabbage Patch doll. And they are in swimsuits. And they're, like, anything covered by this... The girl Cabbage Patch doll's swimsuit, because she's wearing a little bikini, is a no-no square. And that, like, shouldn't be touched without your permission. Or, like, the boy has his swim trunks on, and that's his no-no square. And that shouldn't be touched without his permission. And I think that that is probably, like, the closest we get to anything of the sorts. Like, we don't learn about sexual assault, especially on a teen level. Like, if anything, it's like an adult with a kid. It's never people our own age. And we definitely don't learn about violence towards teenagers from teenagers. I think it's interesting, too, that they don't necessarily talk about different types of violence. We talk on the board about physical and emotional and financial violence, but we send kids to date and we don't necessarily have conversations with them. When I was a teenager, we had tons of conversations about abstinence. We had a lot of conversations yes. about that, especially in a religious environment, but we never talked about what appropriate behavior was. I had a friend from church that had her boyfriend break her arm and he acted like it was joking, but the result was that he twisted her wrist to the point where she broke a small bone in her wrist. And even then we talked about that being wrong and she didn't tell anybody. She was ashamed about it. Her mother was a nurse and figured out what had happened and questioned her about it. But I don't know that even in that context, we were really taught what to do if that happened, if something was uncomfortable, what you were supposed to do about that and who was safe to talk to about that. I think that's key, Jamie, is who is safe to talk to about that. It's sort of this whole idea of when you're a teenager, you're like stuck around all of the same people. Like when you're an adult, I'm not saying it's any better, but like we are all forced to go to school. Like we're all around the same people. So you're sort of put into a situation where telling is like a risk because like then everyone knows like that happened to her. She's the one who that happened to. The amount of rumors that go around my high school hallways, I don't even know if they're true, but everyone believes them. And no one wants to be like the victim of that rumor. And there's just so many ways people work to dull down what does come out. So it's like, she's crazy. That didn't happen. I feel like it's almost nerve wracking to tell anyone outside of maybe your best friends. Like my best friends are probably the only people I hold because I know they aren't going to tell everyone, but it's sort of like, you don't want to be the person who it happens to, which I think is one of the basic issues. When we were talking before we hit record, we were talking about somebody that you know who had a protection order. Tell our listeners what happened in that instance. There was this girl who went to my school or a school around me and she had to get a restraining order on her boyfriend. And like it was issued like it was an actual restraining order. But when she went to the school to try to get them to separate her from him within classes or like to do anything to create distance between the two, they like didn't do anything. So she had to move schools because of it because she just literally had a restraining order against him but the school would not do anything about it. I think that's something to bring awareness to as well that the victim of domestic violence normally has so many barriers that they have to go through Mm. and the abuser is just sitting there living their life not having to do all of these hard things that most victims have to do especially if you're a teenage victim and I'm assuming that she had a parent Uh, Yeah, her parents are the ones who finally made her like move school. 
schools because they talked to the school too to try to get it to change and they just didn't do anything about it. I think in some of those situations as a parent, there's a line between advocating for your child and calling attention to your child in a negative way and creating that stigma. I don't know if that was something where in the situation that happened to you, were you able to talk to your parents about it? Did you make a conscious choice not to talk to your parents about it? And why do you think that might have been the case? That when I was in the situation, I just didn't view it as significant. I didn't really think that it was that serious until I was out of it and started thinking about it. And even if I did acknowledge it, I just think I would have been too afraid of like repercussions for it. Like I would get in trouble for it or like something would happen to like make him get in trouble and like I didn't want him to get in trouble for it. Or it's just sort of like a, I didn't want anything to change necessarily, which is like real messed up. I'm going to acknowledge, but I didn't want anything aggressive to happen. Like I didn't think it was that serious in the moment. I think the other thing that maybe we don't think about, and I have several teenagers or various stage, that stage kid. And from the boy perspective, I think a lot of times we think about domestic violence or relationship violence happening from male to female. My son has experienced times when, or I've witnessed times with our other kids where it's actually a female can use a lot of emotional violence and emotional forms of control. If you do this, then I'm going to say that you assaulted me. If you do this, if you break up with me, then I'm going to tell everyone that you did such and such or whatever. And and that creates sort of, or I'm going to commit suicide is something that kids, I think, throw around. That's violence too. It's not physical violence, but it still creates this tension that I think teenagers are so probably ill-equipped to deal with. It's a lot of pressure in a relationship that they may not know how to do something about. I genuinely think that I could not name a single high school relationship I've seen where there was not some sort of like manipulation from one party to another or like controlling aspect from one party to another. It goes both ways, but I think the prominent because we don't really acknowledge it. And that's called coercive control. And another thing that you had said earlier is people might think that the students are crazy. If- Especially as a teenage girl, like yeah. everyone calls us crazy for everything. And I feel like you're worried that you are crazy. Like there's a part of you that like, at least in my personal experience, I was like, maybe I'm delusional. Like maybe, like it's not that bad. Maybe it didn't crazy. really happen. Maybe I'm questioning my own reality. Yeah. Or like, I'm sure like everyone goes through this. Like I'm just over dramatic. And I think that as teenage girls specifically, obviously speaking from my perspective, we're just sort of taught to think we're crazy. The amount of times where people are like, oh my god, teenage girls are like, oh, dramatic. Even the media, like mean girls, that's what the average teenage girl is portrayed as. So we just are expected to think we're crazy, which I think is interesting to look at in this class. Or if not crazy, maybe exaggerated, yeah, right? That everything sure, right. gets dramatized to the point that, oh, maybe it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't that serious. And we talk about that happening with even adult survivors, right? Yes. That's a part of what happens is you're made to think that you're crazy, that this isn't really happening. This could not possibly really be happening to me. And so it's interesting that you've called on that same characteristic. It really is. And the buzzword going around is gaslighting. Yes. After I broke up with my boyfriend, I started talking to a couple other girls who had also like either happenings or I guess, I guess talking stages is what us teenagers call it. Basically dating without dating or were dating him. And two of the girls I talked to had similar experiences to me with the violence. And then one of them had a worse experience than me and genuinely like pulled up receipts of ruses that he had given her. But 
I didn't know about that before the relationship. I'd heard little bits about it, but like whenever I brought it up with him, he like was like, no, like she's crazy. Because like that's just sort of the scapegoat for anything a girl brings up or anything really anyone who accuses something like violence brings up is sort of painted as like over-exaggerating or like crazy. And like it sort of pairs with that whole concept of being afraid to talk about it or not wanting to be the one who talks about it. If I would have had any of that knowledge before I went into the relationship, I guarantee you it would not have lasted as long A or B, I would not have doled down what happened as much. Being a domestic violence survivor, breaking the cycle of violence in my family is a big deal. It's a huge thing. And it doesn't mean that my kids have been spared from getting into relationships that they missed some flags, they missed some red flags on. What it is is that awareness piece. Okay, so I'm out and I realize, wait a minute, or I'm in it and I realize, wait a minute, I think this is something I really need to take a second look into and move on from. So that's the part of breaking the cycle that's probably the hardest and being the first generation person to try to break that cycle is seeing your kids go through what they go through, knowing that when they're kids, you can get in the middle of it and talk to them a little bit. But when they're grown adults, young adults in 20s and 30s, like my kids, it's a little bit harder because they have to decide when it's time to go. And they have to be the ones where that light bulb goes off and says, hold on a second. This is everything that my mom or my dad or whoever taught me mm-hmm. shouldn't be happening to me right now. And why do I feel like I am crazy? Why am I made to feel like I am crazy? Why am I doubting my reality? I think more of those conversations needs to happen, but we can't always trust that they're going to happen at home. Mm-hmm. What do you think would be helpful in an organization like Hope House? What can we do to help combat any domestic violent relationships or bring awareness to any domestic violence relationship? I think that it's really difficult to do without going to like the schools to talk about it. Because even when you do go to the schools, the amount of people who are just going to be like, oh my gosh, like this dumb presentation, blah, 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 blah. I think it's one of those things that has to start from like a young age. And I don't think you can just start in high school because I think at that point it's people who don't really care about what we're listening to it's another thing to like drown out and ignore but like when we're having those no-no square talks I think we need to make it clear that it's not just between a kid and someone who's older like it starts from a young age and acknowledging and using proper not even proper terms like obviously you're not going to tell a toddler domestic violence but like acknowledging that there's something there that can happen between people of the same age that is negative and that should not be tolerated even when we're going through we have to go through sex ed in school and we learn all about that but all they preach is abstinence which is a whole other issue to get into but talking about i don't think i learned about rape even even when i was learning about sex education all they taught me was abstinence and there was no acknowledgement for things like rape did you talk at any point about consent No, literally not at all. Because I know at least one of my children, they watch this video. There's this consent video about tea. There's a cleaner version and a less clean version. But the whole concept is if I ask you if you want tea, you have to say, yes, I want tea. No one would ever give you tea if you don't say you want tea. And so in this video, tea is sex. And they show if you're passed out, you don't want tea. And they use this whole example for it. The reason I asked you is because... 
because to me, that goes with that conversation. When you're talking about sex and the choices you make about sex as a preteen, then talking about consent and what your rights are with your body. Because I think the no-no square, the concept of that is you need to be able to say no. You need to have the right to say no and control what happens to your own body, which is really an extension of consent. When you're of the age of consent, it's you making a choice about what you do with your body. And a natural progression is not only what happens to my body when I want to be intimate, but what happens physically or emotionally to me as I'm dating. What is my right when I'm dating to have a safe relationship or not have a safe relationship? I think that whole concept of consent also brings up another good point. So at my schools, we do this thing on prom where we have like the don't drink and drive thing. Like, awesome. That's great. But I I think that that would be another great time to bring something like this to light. Because I guarantee you, like all of the statistics about rapes on prom night are probably crazy. Like I personally experienced it and I know a lot of other girls who experienced it because it's that whole like prom night and paired up with the teen drinking. Conscious consent is necessary and I don't think we're taught that that is necessary. I think consent in general is something that is not talked about enough. So what could you do? I mean, in your school situation, I mean, I think this is an important conversation. As a parent, we can feel how we feel about sex ed in schools and a lot of people have strong opinions about that. But what I don't think most parents would have a problem with is the concept of having a conversation about people being aware of violence and dating relationships and what healthy dating relationships are like. And and even things like the like we talk to our kids about the buddy system. If you're going to go out in college, don't be by yourself. Don't go to a bar by yourself. Don't go into an Uber by yourself. We have those conversations, but it seems to me like that would be an appropriate conversation. Are there channels or are there groups at your school that would be interested in those conversations? Where would that happen? Where does the drinking conversation happen? Um, So that's like a junior and senior assembly that they have every once, I think, per grade on prom, like right before prom, they get everyone together in the auditorium and they talk about it. And it's like this guy who comes in and he's like, stop teen drinking, stop teen drunk driving. Something I did this summer and I talk about it a lot on this podcast is I went and talked to um, middle school girls in, in the area and about 80 of them already had a story. And we're talking about, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh graders. And the approach I used was, of course, we talked about healthy on and offline relationships and what mm-hmm. they look like. And it really triggered something in a lot of them that they were like, okay, so this is not what it looks like to me. 100%. Like, I yeah. think a lot of the time, like in my personal experience, you don't realize it's wrong until after it's done. Because that's when you like learn more about it. Like, whether it be through TikTok or like someone telling you about what this is, like what domestic violence is, that that wasn't okay. Like, if you tell them a story, you don't really acknowledge it until it's over, which I think is one of the biggest issues. Like, there needs to be more proactive measures to talk about what is right and what is wrong before it happens. And talk about what is a red flag and Mm -hmm. are we being red flag collectors? Do we see a flag and we say, oh, wait a minute, Mm, this is not for me. I know exactly what's going to go on because once you see a flag, a flag collector, unless you stop it right there. I do think social media is another place where you could have conversations or have influence for these issues 
space for kids. And it does strike me, and, and we've talked about it before on the board. I mean, one of the things when I came to the board, that was one of the things that was on my mind. Is And it's because I have a passel of teenagers, but what do we do with those kids? And do we do any outreach to those school programs? And I know it's difficult because there's lots of schools and there's lots of programs, but obviously making an impact for some of those kids or finding ways to put content on TikTok like we're doing for some other things so that kids know, what do I do if that happens to me? Who do I call? I probably don't call Hope House, but what do I do? Find a safe adult, talk to a friend. I think even starting a conversation about any of it, at least within the teen level, is doing something. I think that getting teens talking to teens is probably going to be your best path because counselors can tell us like, stop bullying, like all of this stuff as much as they want. But I think the only way you actually cause teenagers to actually change it and pay attention is if it's coming from other teenagers. Teenagers are recent teenagers, right? I think they've listened to a college student or somebody like that. But I agree. I mean, I don't think somebody on the board can walk in and have any sort of political capital with a teenage group. One of our school counselors talking to us won't do anything. Do you guys talk about boundaries in school at all? Or have you set any personal boundaries now that you have been in a domestic violent relationship and known friends who have been in domestic violence relationships? Well, I can tell you for sure we don't talk about them in school. We is something too far is what I declare a boundary. Or like before, I guess, before when it gets too far. Like where do you draw the line behind what someone's doing. I have a friend who, on her first date with a guy, he, like, groped her. And so now her and her current boyfriend, she, like, refuses to let him touch her where she was previously assaulted. That's her personal boundary. But I think it's a very up-to-the-kind-of-person and what they went through where the boundary is drawn. Like, I don't think I personally have any boundaries from my experience specifically besides just general boundaries. Like, obviously, ask before you do anything. But I think that's a pretty general, at least to most girls who have had conversations about issues, a pretty general boundary. But there definitely isn't any sort of, like, discussion of a solid quantity of boundaries. Or like, What about emotional, physical? Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like if you were in a relationship where somebody had a lot of anger, or grabbed you or would you be more likely to do something different the next time? Definitely. After you've experienced it, you acknowledge it. And I don't think that I would let the same things that I went unnoticed in my last relationship go unnoticed in another relationship. Like I think it's once you experience it, that's when you acknowledge it. Do your friends hold each other accountable? I mean, your friends that know? Like all of my friends don't really talk about the issues in their relationships until after we break up, which is sort of like a whole thing. I think that's the whole thing. Like, girls not acknowledging, or guys not acknowledging what happened. Do you think that's somewhat fear-based? A hundred percent. Like, I think we're all worried that someone's gonna be like, oh my god, you should break up with him. Or like, you should break up with her. Or like I was talking about earlier, that whole thing of like, something changing. Or like, something, you getting in trouble for it. Or them getting in trouble for it. Like, you don't want anyone to be held accountable, which is sort of messed up. But I think it's just how teens are wired, is to not want that to end. Have you ever heard of what the cycle of violence is? So I've heard about it just from my own personal, like, people around me. And I've definitely seen instances of it. My ex-boyfriend, speaking from personal, that whole story, his dad abused his mom. So I think that that's at least where that circle sort of comes in. And I'm sure if you asked a lot of people, they definitely, at least the divorce statistics are crazy. Like, I'm so many people are divorced. So many people's parents are divorced. And I guarantee you most people would have... 
some sort of instance of seeing something like that with, if not a parent, a sibling, or like some sort of instance of that. Well, or the inverse, right? I mean, how many examples of healthy relationships Mm -hmm. are out there, even if you talk about media or celebrities or TV shows or some of the reality shows are certainly not giving examples of what healthy relationships or dating. I was thinking of Love Island, which is a great example of dating. There's some real bad examples out there. And so I I would guess that some kids don't have a lot of examples of what a healthy, you know, relationship looks like. And that's got to feed into some of that too. The cycle of violence I'm referring to is actually what happens in a domestic violent relationship. Starts out at kind of a honeymoon phase. Like everything's good and you are love-bombed. Have you heard of the term love-bombed? I have heard. Love-bombed is especially popular right now. Everyone's talking about it. a thing. Good. I'm glad everyone's talking about that because that's so important. That's kind of that honeymoon, getting to know you, don't start out violent type of phase. Then there's a tension-building phase. And then what happens is there's that explosive phase where a lot of the, the physical or sexual violence can happen. And then right back around the honeymoon. But what starts happening then is the shame. Well, if you would have picked the restaurant I wanted to go to, none of this would have ever happened. I'm really sorry that I was upset with you, but if you wouldn't have. So that shame and blame is happening. And so do you see that that Mm -hmm. type of cycle of violence then in your school? Yes, I think that sort of ties back to the whole like controlling and manipulative nature of most teen relationships. Of even like in my own relationships where there's been instances where it's like everyone, like, you're fine, and then, like, tension builds, and then you fight over something dumb. Where are we going for prom dinner or stuff like that? And then everyone argues, explosion, da-da-da, and then it's like the blame is turned to you, and you're like, that's my fault, like, my bad. Or I think it's sort of a not as much one person's at fault. It's more like, well, you did this. I may have done this, but you did this. And it's sort of like battle between what happened which I think happens in a lot of conflict definitely it's like he said this she said this he said this she said this some of it is lack of maturity too right and I think you've got all of these people in their first relationships their first couple which you know all of those things happen but I think takes maturity to be able to say okay this is what we you know thought about and we didn't like how that went or I didn't like how I responded to you and so next time let's do this different I mean that's not a conversation that most teenagers are mature enough to have. Right. And really understanding the difference between somebody being angry and Mm -hmm. losing their temper one time, one off, never happens again. Because that happens. And that is not domestic violence. Domestic violence is that cycle. So that's how you can tell the difference. Right. And I think that there's a difference between disagreements, like you were talking about, Jamie, and mudslinging. Or like blaming for each things. Or like, I don't even know how to phrase it. Yeah. Shame and blame. Yeah. It's like shaming and blaming. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very big difference between the two. And I think that outlining the difference is important. Because we're taught this, like, I know disagreement is normal, just like based on watching my parents. Like, disagreement's normal. But it's like, at what point is that disagreement okay? Like, at what point is that disagreement healthy? Right. And at what point is it okay to walk away? The blame and the shame stops. You can agree to disagree in a domestic violent relationship until you tell that other person 
you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Even if you're in the right. In the right. The amount of times I've had to apologize in my last relationship for things that uh, like I would be upset and bring an issue forward and then it would get turned around on me and it would be like, well, you did this, like you did this to the point where I had to end up apologizing for being upset about things, which I think is definitely that cycle coming into play. So when I was in high school back in the dark ages, we had a class that most of the seniors took that was called parenting and family relations, carrying an egg baby. Everybody took it because it was kind of the fun senior blow off class. But one of the things we talked about in that class was conflict resolution and kind of healthy conflict and I statements and those kind of things. I still remember pieces of that conversation. It was great. I mean, it was great that we all had the opportunity to have those conversations. Now, I don't know that that meant that we all applied them well. And and conflict is certainly different than violence, like you were saying. There, everybody has conflict. Not everybody is violent. But I, I think it's parcel of the same. Having them be able to recognize the difference between those is important, too, because you don't want everybody running around screaming domestic violence when really they're just arguing over where to go to dinner. Absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. it's but I, I think you do have to have tools for how to do that. And a lot of people a lot of adults don't do that particularly well. What I'm excited about just speaking with you today is you are one now that knows what a red flag looks like. And now you can be that leader with your friends, your peers, and talk to them about the same conversation we had here. I think we need more of that. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. And that's very courageous for you to come on. Thanks for sharing.